You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Brent. My name is Gwen. I'm Ryan. I'm Riley. And this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. There are journeys long and short. Those that come at a great cost and others that are seemingly effortless. Journeys that we would do anything to avoid and those that we jump into wholeheartedly. Journeys we choose and those that choose us. Journeys of the mind and of the body. Today we askew the ephemeral and talk the quite literal What would spur you to take a journey of thousands of miles across borders and possibly oceans? To pay for travel, room, and board. To pay to come to a conference. To talk, of all things, about that which you just parted with to get here. To talk money. To talk financial independence. To live a better life. This is Doc G, and you are listening to the Earn and Invest podcast live from Chautauqua, week one in Bogota, Colombia, and I'm joined by a lively group of my fellow conference attendees. And we are going to discuss why someone, anyone, would be crazy enough, or shall I say bold enough, to make this journey. To help me do this, please welcome our first guest, Gwen. Gwen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jordan. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I am so excited to have you. First and foremost, is this your first Chautauqua? No, it's actually my second Chautauqua. I first attended in Porto in 2019, and then unfortunately had to sit out while we've been out in the quarantine, and I'm so happy to be back this year in Colombia for my second Chautauqua. So there are a few people who've been here twice, and I I think it's really kind of interesting to talk to you because you had the experience once and now you've come back. Let's talk about this time. What answers did you come here looking to find? The FI journey is exactly that, a journey. And so if I think back to my first trip to Chautauqua, where I was financially and where I was in my FI journey was very different than where I am now three years later. So the questions I had in that first Chautauqua 
and sort of where my level of interest and engagement was, was very different than it is now these years. So the questions that I've been come here seeking out to answer are, are, are very different. So I have seen great value in coming back a second time. Um, and I think there will be an interesting opportunity to come back three or four years from now and, and, and ask the next level of questions that are in front of me. Tell me how the questions are different this time than the last time. Be specific. If you can think about it, what do you think needs to be answered now that you're farther along the journey? Yeah, I think when I came the first time, um, I was on the journey and at a nice place in my accumulation. And so now I'm thinking forward around what comes after Phi. So I think at that last, at the initial uh, Chautauqua, I was sort of thinking about how to get there. And now I'm thinking about what happens after um, you know, in the next phase of my life. There are a lot of people listening right now, and they hear you talking about money, but they also hear you talking about what comes after. Break it down for us. How much of what happens at a Chautauqua is talk about money itself versus how much of your time are you actually talking about life? Yeah, actually, at my first Chautauqua, it seemed very focused on money for me because that's where I was, my, my mindset was around that. But I think at this one, and I think the, the whole Phi community has evolved um, as we move more into our journey. And I would say it's a lot more around mindset, around behavior, around the journey, around what the future looks like. So I think it's disproportionately not on the financial side at this point. And it's much more qualitative than quantitative as you progress in your journey. And certainly at this point in time, I think things like your book as an example are things that, you know, have caused us to start asking different questions. I think if you look at the earlier books in the five movement, five movement, they were very much around sort of the financial piece. And I think as you, as you are, you know, what you've introduced here has, has, made the sort of journey more deep for us all. And we're starting to ask very different questions. Um, whether we're financially independent yet or not, we understand that there's a bigger picture and there's so much more to life than just the money piece. Let me put you on the spot for a moment. Which was harder, figuring out how to become financially independent or now trying to figure out what to do with it? Yeah, uh, the surprise of it all is definitely the the latter. So I think the money part is is sort of easy. There's great instruction around how to get there in the FI community. I think what's unknown and newer is what's after that. So I think that this part, I mean, I'm, I've made great progress this week, but I'm leaving here with um, a whole sort of uh, agenda of what I need to work on as I leave this Chautauqua um, from a qualitative standpoint. So I think there's a lot more work that I have to do um, that's not so automated and not so automatic uh, on this journey as I go forward here. So as I was talking about in the introduction, you know, this is a journey to get here, right? It costs a certain amount of money. You have to travel a certain amount of miles. This is now your second. What do you think the lasting effect of Chautauqua is going to be on your life? Mm. Uh, so much. I think um, consciousness beyond a number or wealth. But I think the number and wealth was sort of the sort of the entry piece. Um, awareness, thinking more deeply, deeply about my life and what's important to me. I think, you know, as, as, as people go through life and they get older, it is the, it's sort of the softer stuff versus the harder stuff that they reflect on and that they value. And so I think it's, it's the, 
it's the progression from the focus on money to the focus on life. I like that. The progression from the focus on money to the focus on life. Part of that focus on life is who we surround ourselves with. Talk to me about the Chautauqua community. Who have you met and what have they met in your life? And coming out of this one, you've met a bunch of new people. What are your expectations? Well, I can tell you after my first Chautauqua, you know, I had a, I made a lot of great friends and those are all folks that there are many folks from that first Chautauqua that I continue to be in contact with. So a lot of us stayed very connected for, on Facebook and social media and, and outside of that. So that definitely exists. I think in the journey that we're on, it's a unique and very individual journey. And there's not a big, you know, a lot of us find in our outside lives, there's not a lot of people that we can talk about you know, about the specifics of this journey. And so what we take forward is those people, those people that we can have those private conversations with, um, those people that understand our milestones, that understand what we're trying to move toward, that understand our challenges and, and sort of what we're trying to get to. I think a lot of people aren't thinking how we're thinking. And it's hard. This journey is hard when you don't have that connection with people. So I think what I'm, you know, what I expect as we go forward is having people where there's opportunity for connection and continue conversation and people that can just really understand, um, again, and celebrate the milestones with me. One thing that I've really learned about community, which is refreshing, is that community will challenge you. And sometimes they'll challenge your assumptions. We had a little challenging moment today, Gwen, when you asked about generational wealth. And there were a number of people from the FI community who maybe disagreed with you. Talk about that disagreement. It was a great conversation, actually. So I, you know, based on my background, and we all come from different backgrounds, I have underlying beliefs around what the value of my FI journey is. And part of that for me is that, and you know, as I think about how we were taught about the 4% rule, that is, part of that is that you're supposed to live off part of the money and you're supposed to leave the principal behind. That's supposed to still exist. So I asked the question around how did people think about leaving that money for the next generation. And there was definitely sort of divergence across the group on how people think about um, their accumulation of money. Is it for themselves? Is it for their own goals? Is it for the next generation? Are we disabling the next generation by passing on the, the, the heavy wealth that we may have in the end? So it was a really interesting conversation. I posed the question, probably not because I plan to change my mind and my beliefs, but because I was genuinely curious how people were thinking about it. And we got a range of answers in the room. And I thought it was really interesting. And there were a lot of people that came up to me after that conversation and shared with me their individual perspectives that didn't have an opportunity to speak out loud. And I really, I just appreciated learning the perspectives. Like I said, I will say, I don't think it necessarily changed mine. It actually made me more steadfast um, in my belief. But I, I, I think I walked away appreciating that we're all very different. As we say, this is personal finance. And so everyone's opinion and sort of take on this is a personal, personal issue. But it was a great conversation. It was funny. Gwen asks, so what do we think about generational wealth? And arrogant Doc G says, I don't think about generational wealth. We ended up having actually a really great conversation, some of it based on Stanley and Danko and The Millionaire Next Door and this idea of whether supporting your children helps them or hurts them. 
What was really interesting about the conversation is that I think we talked passionately on both sides, and I think everyone's understanding and beliefs were not just modified, but we all kind of took a deeper look at our assumptions, and that's, at least in my opinion, how we grow. The bottom line is money and wealth, and I know there are people listening right now who are asking, is it worth spending the money to travel to another country to a conference like Chautauqua. Gwen, break it down for us. Is it worth the money? Well, that's absolutely for me. (laughs) So I think that, you know, I've been a member of the FI community since around 2015. And my general observation of people in the FI community is that we like to travel. Uh, We spend a lot of time talking about travel. And so, and I also think we tend to spend in alignment with our values. And I think when you put together travel and then community and sort of shared agenda and put all that in one place, I think that that makes it absolutely worth the value for the folks in the community. I think, again, this is my second trip, and I would say that the uh, the value that I get from the Chautauquas is more than the expense. You know, in the FI community, we spend a lot of time reading and listening to a lot of podcasts, but it's not practical. It's it's It becomes really practical when you go to a Chautauqua and you surround yourself with the community. So I think there's a lot of value in the practicality piece that comes from it and the network piece and the finally connecting with people who understand and speak your same language and have similar goals as you. So I think there's a lot of value there. Um, and so, again, my it, absolutely, this is uh, this is worth it. I wanted to thank Gwen for coming on today. She is definitely a person that I will keep in my mind and my heart, and I know over time that I will stay in touch with her. It's part of the magic about what we have here at Chautauqua, which is a community of people to talk about difficult, important discussions, not just financial, but as well as emotional and life issues. Why don't we all give it up for Gwen? Thank you for being on the show today. Thank you, Jordan. All right, next up is Brent. And I have to admit, I've been giving Brent a hard time since the moment I started talking to him. I introduced myself, and the first thing I did was start questioning all his assumptions, which I am wont to do. But first and foremost, before we get to all of that, Brent, tell us, why did you come to Chautauqua? Hi, uh, thank you, Jordan, for having me. Going to Chautauqua started back in 2018. Uh, I really uh, attempted to come here, and it, it sells out so quickly. So you really have to be on the ball when Alan and Katie uh, invite you to this event. It's been my experience that finding people with the ideas around financial independence is very difficult locally. And I saw this as an opportunity to connect with the community Uh, in a way that few people get to do. It's an interesting question, right? Brent, you are a dentist. You're a successful businessman. You're surrounded by financially savvy people. You, I'm sure, have colleagues. You know other people running successful practices. Is this the kind of thing you can talk to with your dental colleagues? Could you bring up financial independence? And if you have tried it, what have been your responses? I'll say this. Dentists are not necessarily the most savvy financially. (laughs) I work with a lot of young dentists, and I can tell you that they're more interested in buying fast cars, uh, using doctor loans to buy large houses. Uh, They are not 
necessarily interested in putting away large percentages of their income. So it's a tough go to chat with dentists about these topics, and they're definitely not nearly as open as this uh, community is. Now tell me, Brent, was I exaggerating when I said that I had been a hard on you from that very first conversation? Why do you think I was being hard on you? Just because I'm a hard ass? <laughs> yes, you were uh, tough with me uh, from the first moments. Uh, but that's what you're going to get here. Uh, you're going to get tough love. You're going to get the tough questions. It's almost like you've got a, a weak muscle somewhere, and they're going to find it, and they're going to poke it multiple times until you are forced to face those tough questions. Uh, but they're doing it from a place of love. When you decided to come here, was there a specific question you wanted answered? Or was there a specific action you were looking for the courage to take? Absolutely, Jordan. Thanks for the question. I'm at a crossroads in my life. Uh, I'm, I run a successful dental practice, and I just purchased a building, and uh, I was looking for some clarity on whether or not to do that. To, to double the size of my business in the next five years. I got some serious challenges <laughs> to my plan. I can only say that the more people I talked to, the more clarity I got on that tough decision. I'm wondering about your response to some of that tough love. I mean, you come here, you travel all this way, you pay this money, you come looking for real answers, and instead what you get somewhat is challenges. On the other hand, I know because we've spent time together and you've talked to a lot of people here that the challenges come out of love, right? This is not We're not challenging you because we gain anything from it. We're not challenging you because we want to change the way you do things willy-nilly. The idea is can we listen to what you're saying and divine what you really want? And this is something I really struggle with myself. And I always struggled with, with my medical practice. How do you know when you're done making all that money? And I know I struggled with it, right? Because I had a lucrative medical practice. I was bringing in a lot of money every year. I was looking at my numbers and going, Hey, I'm okay. But it was always hard for me to make that decision. When is the time to turn away from income and towards life and is turning away from income turning towards life, right? Because a lot of people even love what they do. You may love being a dentist. And I, from talking to you, I know that this is not something you hate. You go there every day. You feel like you're doing good. You're, you know, you're providing jobs for people. You're helping your patients. So break it down for us. How do you think you would know when it's time to leave? And is it okay just to be purposeful in your dental practice? That is such a great question. And it's a difficult one. Because I think a lot of professionals like us tend to identify ourselves as that profession. And there's barriers to entry. The type of practice I created takes years to create. It's not a profession you can just walk away from and come back to, which makes it that much more difficult. You really need to know where your true north is. And this community, better than anything I've ever seen, will challenge you to find your true north. Find the area of your life that you're excelling in. Find the areas that you're struggling in and really 
get you pointed towards happiness as opposed to a number. Quite frankly, if I stay in practice another five years, I can probably double my phi number. The question is, does that effort translate into a happier me? Or does the sacrifice I have to put go through over the next five years justify that? And I'll be honest, I don't have the answer to that. But I do need to go home and spend some serious time thinking about it. We spend a lot of time here talking about lifestyle and life design, but we also talk about numbers. Help us understand, those people listening who've never been to a Chautauqua before, how much of this time have you spent talking specific numbers and actual economics versus how much time have you really more spent about lifestyle and kind of those bigger decisions? I feel the amount of time you spend talking about numbers is minimal. Uh, we do that a little bit in the one-to-ones most of the time. And don't get me wrong, people are open uh, with where they're at. But I do think the major benefit of being here has to do with finding everybody's emotional north, finding everybody's what they're passionate about. We're going to come back to Brent in a moment, but I want to ask Gwen the same question, because I think it's really important to elucidate that. How much of your time here are you really talking about specific numbers versus how much are you talking about life design and lifestyle? Yeah, I think the numbers part is easy. I think, you know, I had an opportunity to spend some one-on-one time with the uh, facilitators this week, and one of the closing statements that, that we settled on was that this is not about numbers anymore. This is about mindset. And so that is that became really my focus for the week. Once we once we close down, it becomes really it's it's very easy and quite quick to understand the financial where you are financially. Where we really spent the time is on how we settle into whatever the numbers tell us and then what that means for how we look forward. So definitely much less numbers and much more on the on the mindset piece. All right, Brent, this podcast is going to follow you on the train home. It's going to get in that cab with you. It's going to walk through your front door. And this mic is going to be in your face when your wife asks, so Brent, how did that conference go? What did you learn? What are you going to tell her? We're going to get in the hot tub. We're going to decide what we want to do going forward. Uh, We've got some tough decisions that we need to make, but it's all going to be focused around happiness and what we want to get out of life and and answering some very tough questions. Looking back, do you wish she came with you? Absolutely. It's tough right now. We've got a a soon-to-be three-year-old at home. Uh, Her parents are actually visiting with us right now, so they're helping while I'm here. But to have her here would be great. My concern going back is whether or not I'm going to overload her with all the information that I've gathered this week. So I'm going to have to, you know, slow things down and give it to her in pieces. Brent, one thing I've learned about you is you get value out of things, whether that be the old refrigerator left in your house or, or your ability to maximize your dental, pro- your dental practice. So tell me. It all comes down to ROI, right? Return on investment. Tell me what you think the return on investment will be of of you making this trip. 
this was priceless, Jordan. Uh, and yes, I've got a very old refrigerator that's older <laughs> than Omar, one of our uh, hosts here. Uh, I'll say this. I'm always looking for that return on investment. This was awesome. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. We are going to take a short break. We are talking to Brent, Gwen, and eventually Ryan and Riley. And we are talking about making the journey to Chautauqua. We'll be back in a few moments. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Hey, everybody. I am so excited to let you know that I will be in San Diego Thursday, October 6th. And from 4 to 7 p.m., we're going to have a book launch event at BJ's Restaurant and Brew House. That is in San Diego, California. You can sign up for this event. It's a book launch party, but all Earn and Investors are welcome to come, whether you've read the book or not. Of course, there will be books to be purchased, and I'd be happy to sign them for you there. Also, if you happen to be attending the Camp Phi event, which is going to be Camp Phi Southwest, that's October 7th through 10th in Julian, California, which is right down the way from San Diego. I love to see all of you. Check us out. Go to earnandinvest.com slash San Diego. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash San Diego to sign up to hang out with me at BJ's for our book launch event. We are back here at Chautauqua, Columbia, week one. Let's hear some noise. And I want to welcome to the mic, Ryan and Riley. They came together. Let me start with you, Riley. An uncomfortable question, but I think it's important. How old are you guys? 
So I am 28 and my husband Ryan is 29, soon to be 30. Ryan, tell me what scared you most about booking this trip to Chautauqua. Well, I think first and foremost is it's the first trip we've taken together that we've needed our passports when we fly, let alone going to Colombia, a country that I've only heard things about and a place I've never been, obviously. And then the uh, cost of the trip, we're talking about financial independence and, and financial accumulation. So spending uh, a large sum of money while we're still pretty early on our journey was a big decision to make. Riley, who came up with this idea of financial independence first? Was it you or Ryan? And talk to me a little bit about what that first conversation sounded like. So the first point of Chautauqua came up with Ryan um, and financial independence in general um, was actually him as well. Um, I was finishing up my last semester while we lived together and um, he came to pick me up one night after school and he was like, Riley, I found this video. I have to, you know, I have to show it to you. You know, can we watch it when we get home? And, you know, I said, sure, absolutely. And so we get home and it's the um, Mr. Money Mustache World Domination video for anybody who hasn't seen it. Highly recommend it. But he showed it to me and I could feel his eyes like staring at the side of my face, just like watching my expressions as I watched this video. And when it was over, I turned to him. And I said, so do you want to live in a van? Like I, I was so on board and I went probably to the extreme. So pretty much from that point forward, we were really on the same page, but he is very much the numbers guy. He lives in a spreadsheet. He loves this stuff. So I really enjoy having him be my filter where he can, you know, read books and recommend what will really, you know, resonate with me and then go through all these spreadsheets and explain and, you know, kind of be my teacher in this. All right, Ryan, let me put you on the spot here. Riley says you brought this up to her and she was like, I'm on board. When are we moving into the van? I want to hear your description of that first conversation. Did she look at you like you were crazy? No, her recollection is exactly correct. Uh, So I was very nervous to bring this to her because I'm watching this video and he's like, if you can save 60%, you actually give a shit in the video. And I'm sitting pondering, how could anybody do this? But I had this like excitement that if somebody has done something like this before, then I certainly can do some kind of form of this. Uh, so I got all fired up and I literally tried my best to not act excited when I brought up the video because I didn't want to pressure her to feel any sort of way because uh, coming to your partner with, hey, do you want to totally flip the way we live upside down, save a very large percentage of what we make and uh, possibly start to make some sacrifices you know, that might not go well. But yeah, she shocked me with the you want to live in a van and I had to put the brakes on. I guess I had to throttle that one uh, because (laughs) because I want to live inside. (laughs) I mean, we laugh, right? We laugh about the van life and we laugh about this idea that once a lot of us find financial independence, we actually go maybe a little nutty sometimes and go a little too far. Riley, tell me about those first few months of working towards financially financial independence. Did you have to pull back? Was there a feeling of scarcity at any time? When we first were kind of introduced to the FIRE movement, um, it was right before the pandemic. So honestly, I feel like it came at a really good time. Um, funny enough, um, I was actually working a lower paying job at the time. I make, you know, roughly twice as much as what I did in the past at that point. And I was really worried about losing my job. So I had this, you know, brand new excitement for the fire community. And I was like, great, let's do this. And then I'm like, oh, I might lose my job. And it had nothing to do with my performance or, you know, anything of the 
of the such. And uh, yeah, so I feel like it came at a good time because of that risk of, you know, being down to one income, we really saw how important it was to save. And, you know, Ryan, again, with the reading, was super on it. Uh, he read 30 books that year in 2020, uh, all financial books. So he showed me some gems, uh, one of which was Quit Like a Millionaire, and that really resonated with me. I absolutely love that book, and I try and recommend it to everybody I can, and maybe, you know, a little bit of a thumper with the financial stuff, um, but that's okay. No, I feel like it came at a really good time. Um, and when we did start seeing, you know, better financial circumstances, I think that really paid off because, you know, we were used to kind of quote unquote sacrificing when it really didn't feel like it. You know, we're homebodies and we don't like to go out and drink and spend a much, a bunch of money or anything of the sort. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not how we choose to live our life. So I think this kind of bodes well for us for having good savings rate and hitting thigh. Ryan Riley was talking about the fact that you read a bunch of books. And of course, you gave her Quit Like a Millionaire, a fantastic book uh, by Christy Shannon Bryce Leung about financial independence. When you learn about the superpower, you want to tell everybody, you tell your spouse. Did you also try to tell your coworkers or family and talk about their response if you did? All right, Doc. So I didn't mention this earlier, but I'm an engineer. So social uh, awareness isn't always my strength, I guess. So I did get real fired up and we had roommates at the time. So I was like knocking on their door saying, you guys got to read this book. I mean, anybody that would listen, the UPS guy's lucky he got away without a copy. <laughs> so, I mean, we introduced both of our families to it. I introduced my best friend that I was the best man in his wedding. I mean, anybody that would listen to me about this stuff, I was like, guys, I just found something super awesome. We're young. We have tons of time. We don't have to do a job that we hate forever. Please listen because I'm trying to help you. So I was probably, like Riley said, uh, my mom jokes that we're financial thumpers because we walk around with those books like they're our Bible. Uh, and it's And it's only kind of a stretch. So Riley, I'm listening to your story. And I mean, it, it sounds pretty jubilant. But even when we're celebrating, there's also fears, right? Whenever you try something new, whenever you do something different than everyone else around you, talk about any fears if you had them about financial independence. And specifically, what's been the effect of coming here on those fears? Funny enough, the, um, the thought of FI or achieving FI doesn't scare me. Uh, it's some of the parts that kind of go along with and are, you know, icing on the cake for FI, which is credit card turning. My background, um, at one point when I was 16, I was actually homeless and I was living with a neighbor for nine months to a year. And, uh, so having that kind of a background and knowing, you know, my parents abusing credit cards didn't really have a great, uh, relationship with credit cards. So Ryan brought up, um, you know, Riley, it's, you know, a good thing. You should really apply for credit cards, get a credit score, you know, start having some kind of history. And uh, he had me sign up for two credit cards at one time because he knew it was going to be a painful thing for me. And I bawled my eyes out because I was so scared. I knew I was going to be, you know, responsible and everything like that. But it's really that emotional piece that, you know, affects me more logically. I, I know that, credit cards are fine. You know, I'm a very responsible adult, so I'm not going to abuse them. But, um, you know, just seeing what it could do to a family really, um, really hit me. Um, and I wasn't quite expecting that reaction. But coming here to Chautauqua, 
it's funny. I haven't really been too worried about the um, financial side of things in terms of being scared. It's more, I guess, being being fearful for my husband in the sense that, you know, he loves working. He loves what he does, which is very fortunate. Um, but he does have that very hard work ethic. And I know that's something that's going to be hard for him um, if we choose to stop working or if we choose to scale back. I feel like it would be very easy for him, um, like a slippery slippery slope uh, type of situation where it's, okay, yeah, we'll scale back. But, oh, I'm so passionate about this project. I'll just start working more. And then you're back to 40 hours a week before you know it. So just coming here and, you know, hearing everyone's stories um, just kind of reinvigorated my love for Phi and what it means to each person. Because I think, you know, on a general scale, it means the same to all of us. But when you start digging and hearing those specifics, it it really lights me up. Ryan commented on that. I mean, kind of you just heard Riley. She said, one of my fears is that it'll have a different effect on you, not necessarily the excitement of not needing to work, but what role work plays in your life. How do you feel when you hear talk about that? I married a very smart lady um, who sometimes knows me better than I know me. So when she says things like that, I know she's right. Um, Yeah, so growing up in the Midwest and in a very blue-collar background, I was taught that you better be the hardest working one in the room and first one in the door, last one to leave. Having had that sort of programming my whole life, that's going to be something difficult to change or scale back. Uh, Even if I were to step away from something that I'm doing full time and go into something that's more of like a passion project, I would still have that programming in me and and who I am as a person. And it would start as something small and become something very large. So uh, it's definitely something that luckily I have a very, very loving and supportive wife and she'll help me through that and identify when she sees signs of that. So, I mean, yeah, the the short answer is she's right. Riley, I've noticed that I'm a different person than I walked through the door into this conference. And I know that pretty much everyone I've ever talked about it who's gone through the whole week has said the same thing. Let's talk about you. How have your ideas of financial independence changed during this week? Have you found that you think differently today than maybe you did five days ago? Yeah, so I feel like generally I still feel like I'm the same person um, in the sense that you know, my dreams for, you know, retiring early and being financially independent are pretty much the same, but I, I almost got validation coming here that it's okay to, you know, want these things and to have them because, you know, I almost feel guilty at times where it's, you know, I started from very um, challenging circumstances and then being in this position where, you know, I'm, I'm 28 years old and, you know, we're, you know, under five years out from being five if we wanted to it's a little hard sometimes to give yourself the permission to want these things and to have them. So just knowing that, you know, yeah, you can have dreams and it's perfectly fine. There's nothing to feel guilty about. You just happen to find this, you know, recipe for a easier life. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think leaving Chautauqua, uh, it really reinvigorated these hopes and dreams that I've had for becoming Phi and helping my family and, you know, having and building a um, great relationship with my husband. Ryan, what do you think you're taking out of this week? So, Doc, I wasn't sure what to expect when I uh, signed up for Chautauqua. The books I've devoured, the math is very simple. 
we've been executing, I would say, better than expected, um, exceeding expectations in corporate lingo. I think the biggest takeaway for me is similar to what Riley said, but with a little bit of a twist. So having a network of people who are supportive when you're feeling that guilt or that imposter syndrome of, you know, we're nowhere near on our journey where a lot of people who are here are. And and I would venture to say in the probably earliest stages of most people here and to see the excitement and shared values and and people making themselves available to be like a mentor or a friend. I mean, the amount of houses I've been invited to after this week is incredible. Um, I think that that has been the biggest unexpected surprise. And, and the part that I'm going to leave here with is uh, I came here with my wife, not knowing a bunch of strangers, uh, and I'm leaving with what feels like family, as um, one of our new friends, David, said yesterday. So I want to reflect a moment on what we've heard today. We started with Gwen, a second time Chautauquan, less worried about the numbers, more worried about the mindset, trying to figure out what a good life really looks like. Then we talked to Brent, a guy who's at a crux in his life, a place where he's not sure which direction is right in his career. What role does money play in his life? What role does work play in his life? And last but not least, Ryan and Riley, arguably at the beginning of their journey, certainly closer to the middle, and they leave here with a sense of community and a sense of maybe knowing a little bit better which path is right for them. I think this is the magic of getting together with people who are struggling with the same things that you are. I think this is the magic of Chautauqua. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Gwen, Brent, Ryan, and Riley. That's a wrap. This is Dr. Disco, a.k.a. Regina, a.k.a. um, second-generation Chautauquan. And what I expected to get was community. I am a weirdo, and I am amongst my weirdos. I love you all, and it just fills my soul when I come here. It is such a unique experience, and I feel open and relaxed and honest and that's what I expected to get and that's what I got I am lucky enough this is Chris to actually have been to two Chautauquas and my life is completely different as it was three years ago happily married to the love of my life and I lost my husband in the past three years and now I've got a completely different situation from both a financial and a life perspective And to come here and be able to be honest and open and talk to people who have had life happen to them and understand where my options are and where they could potentially be. I'm mostly grateful for the fact that I've incurred such enormous generosity and love out of everybody who's actually been here and the fact that everybody shows up with their true authentic selves ready and willing to talk about their financial situation, their life situation, and what they want out of their lives and their futures. My name is Marianne, and this is also my second Chautauqua. And what I expected to get from Chautauqua 
was pretty much what I got, um, but it, in my mind, just isn't isn't as good as it actually is. Thirty to thirty five people in a cool international country, living, laughing, learning together. It's it's a blast. Uh, hello, uh, this is my first Chautauqua, and I really came with no expectations. Uh, I ex- <laughs> what I found when I got there is people open to talk and help you through whatever challenges you may be trying to solve, whether that is thinking about the numbers. But I think, as you've heard, it's actually more about the psychological aspect of what does this actually mean when you when you get to a place where money doesn't 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 mean doesn't mean the same thing it did before the 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 idea that we always trade our the only finite resource that i have is time and we we go through life having to trade it for money and now we're discussing about well, how do I want to trade my time? And I think that's more a more powerful question of what's meaningful and impactful for you. And it was all about how how do all these groups of people help you answer that question? So, Gwen, this is your second Chautauqua. Talk about what you got out of it the first time, and now that you're here the second time, what you're getting out of it now, and how it's different. Yeah, I think in my first Chautauqua. Um, it was my first Chautauqua. So I was, it, was, it was my first live introduction to the community, my first sort of f- uh, deeper understanding of the financial independence journey, and um, sort of a, a very much more a beginning of the journey sort of type experience. I think this time, I, you know, with all the podcasts and all the reading and all of the community that I've been connected with, it's a different, more deep conversation. And in a lot of my reading, you know, I've been sort of debating this idea of net worth versus cash flow. And I came in with the question of trying and, and of saying that I've have I have net worth accumulated, but I don't have cash flow. And how do I how do I create the cash flow? Because how can I ever, you know, re if I don't have the cash flow. And I think what we worked through the math and sort of worked through the numbers and really understood that I could create cash flow through the net worth piece. So then we kind of got past that hurdle that was there for me in understanding what my financial position was and how I could live off my money at some future point. Um, but then it became around this under me not being challenged with accepting what you were telling me around the numbers and really understanding that that's about an underlying fear that I have, underlying security issues that I have from, you know, being someone who didn't come from a lot. And really, we started spending a lot of time on trying to get past the mental of accept the numbers now and get over that hurdle and think about the future. So it really became a a thing where we said, set the numbers aside and let's focus on, um, let's focus forward. And so I think that was, I didn't know I was coming in with that. Um, I thought it was just a numbers thing, but it was much more deep than that. And so I think that's what I'm taking away at the second Chautauqua. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. 
The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate background, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambi Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 